Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. I'm excited to welcome this week a friend and colleague from the Marshall Goldsmith 100, David Berkus. He is one of the world's leading business thinkers. A forward-thinking ideas and best-selling books are helping leaders and teams to do their best work ever. He's the author of four books about business and leadership that have won numerous awards and been translated into dozens of languages. His insights on leadership and teamwork have been published and shared through the Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, amongst many others. He's an international speaker, both in this little three by five box, but also in 3D too. And his TED Talk has been viewed more than two million times. This guy is worth listening to. David, welcome to People First. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You know, you, you point out something interesting. I'm going to have to update that bio because in a, in a Zoom first world, international speaker is not as impressive, I guess, as it used. Back when you had to get on an airplane to go speak somewhere, it was a commitment. Now, I guess not so much, right? So yeah, I might have to update that. Half camera will travel. And I know we're <laughs> going to get to talk about your latest book, which is so pertinent for all of us. Your newest book, Leading From Anywhere, The Essential Guide to finish it for me. Managing remote teams. There you go. And all of us are part of, a ma of remote teams, whether we're the team leader or the team participant. And what I love about your book is it's got practical tools and techniques for all of us, wherever we are in our career, to make this work from home and work remotely work. But more on that in a moment. So David, I do want to go back to your origin story. Okay. So let's take you back. You're a wee lad however tall you are at this point, you're back at school and your teacher comes to you and says, okay, David, what do you want to be when you grow up? What yeah. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure if we go back to like elementary school, that the answer would be that I wanted to be a professional wrestler. Um, <laughs> you, you know, the, the big muscular dudes who did the whole showmanship thing in the ring and whatever. Actually, it's funny. I have a replica of an old WWE belt right here on the screen. I don't know if you can see that, but that one. Oh, okay. Um, it's not crocodiles that you were going to wrestle then. No, no, no. But, but you know, so what's, what's funny about that is, is as, as dumb as we all are in childhood with that sort of thing, there's a storytelling element that goes into that. Mm -hmm. by, the t by the time that I was in high school, the, uh, the storytelling had pivoted from being a professional wrestler, which is a little weird, to, uh, to wanting to be a writer, to wanting to be a novelist, et cetera. I went to university to study that. I studied English and creative writing as an undergrad. And while I was studying that, I found science writing and narrative nonfiction and long-form journalism and people who were using storytelling to tell true stories that helped people. Right. And I thought, wow, that's fascinating. That's what I actually want to do. Right. And so I went on to partly because I, I got married to a medical student. I went on and did a graduate program in organizational psychology, not with the intention of ever being an academic, of ever doing research or anything like that, but just of pairing the two together, pairing the writing that I got as an undergrad and the organizational psychology as a grad to be able to tell those same stories, but tell stories about the research that actually helps people live better lives, do better work, et cetera. And so in a way, I'm still doing the same thing. I, I kind of think it'd be cool maybe to have the long hair and the giant championship belt like a pro wrestler, <laughs> but at its core, it's I'm still might not come across so well on camera. That's true. That's true. Yes, we'll have to see. So I'm curious, because I know you for your nonfiction writing. So do you still dabble in fiction? 
No, no. And in uh, fact, in fact, one of our stories. one of our mutual friends, Whitney Johnson, and I were, were hanging out just before the world ended in, in London at Thinkers 50 in November. And she actually challenged me. She's like, you need to write a novel. Like before you die, you need to write a novel because that's what you said you wanted to do. I don't I, I don't dabble in it mostly because reality is so entertaining. Why why construct an alternative one? Like I go looking every every book that I write. I go looking for two types of stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, they're stories of companies or people that are living the principles from psychology that I'm trying to offer in the book. But I go looking for stories, either stories about famous people or companies, but stories you've never heard about those people. Or I go looking for stories that are so incredible, these people should be famous, right? Mm -hmm. And that's entertaining enough. Like, I, I've just never felt the need to construct a... a a fictional story because reality is so amazing. I, I can have plenty of fun capturing those real life stories. So it's funny because organizational psychology, when you're studying humans, it's all about the stories and some of them are going to make you laugh. Some of them are going to make you cry. And some of them are just that shock horror thriller ride. And I just saw a, a meme that was put up for those of us in the human resources profession. And I'm going to paraphrase it for this video, but along the line of, I can't fix stories, but I can document them. Hmm. And of course, some of the things that people do at work where you go, what on earth were you thinking? How could you think that was going to have a positive outcome for you or others? But I suppose that's what keeps you and I in business is it helping to <laughs> smooth the waves and the volatility that happen individually, but also on teams. Yeah. Oh, no, that's, that's exactly right. And, and I think stories are also a powerful way to convey concepts. You know, so I've written I've written four books now and every principle and every takeaway is steeped in research from organizational psychology, social psychology um, and every one of them. Nobody's ever said, you know, I remember that principle of whatever. They never say that. They say, you know, I remember the story you told about Dana White and Lorenzo Fertitta finding each other and founding the UFC and how important our old friends and our old colleagues are. They always remember the stories, right? So what, what I try and do is just pair that with what we know is true about human behavior, but with mm -hmm. stories of people doing it right, right? And I think as soon as you see that, again, you can't correct other people's stories, but you can document the good ones and hope okay. people remember the good ones and extract the lessons. And then they accidentally, it's a bit like uh, one of my buddies calls it chocolate covered broccoli, right? The story oh. is chocolate. The broccoli is the org psych lesson I want yes. you to take away. Okay, fair enough. So for everybody listening and watching this podcast episode, I want you just to briefly pause right now and think about the stories that you've shared with others. The you won't believe what happened at work today, because David and I are going to share some tidbits and some advice that are going to help you to come back from that for the, the sequel, the, <laughs> uh, the following on movie that makes it better. So, David, you mentioned there that March 1st last year, the world ended, and it certainly turned on its side. And I know here at Sky Team, I mean, we're coming up on our 14th birthday. We have always been a virtual team. But what I realized is that there is a difference between choosing to work from home and work remotely and having to. So as you watched the world pivot, there were no doubt pain points and symptoms of ineffective teams that were happening in 3D anyway <laughs> that have just been exacerbated as we've gone into 2D. So what are some of those just common carry through challenges that you're hearing from the clients and the teams that you're working with? Yeah, I mean, specifically, I, I was talking to somebody, I think just yesterday, it might have been two days ago, about what team leaders 
have thrived in the last year and which ones haven't and what have you. And, and you know, the, the big difference there is sort of if you were if you were demonstrating what you and I would call good leadership, leadership that leads mm-hmm. from a place of trust, that gives autonomy, that provides support, not just trying to document that you're getting the work done and reward or punish you if you're not, right? Yeah. If you were providing that, you actually managed the transition pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. And your team managed the transition pretty good. And interestingly enough, like you said, there are there are companies that choose to be fully distributed, to be fully remote. Then there are companies that actually choose to increase the level of freedom and autonomy they give to their people and they become accidentally remote, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because just over time, people are spending less and less time at the office. They're the sort of work from anywhere uh, companies that I think is where most of us are headed. Um, and then of course, there are all the people that had remote thrust upon them in the last year, right? And that's a that's a totally different game. But the people that are leading from that place of trust and autonomy, and my job as a leader is to get you the things you need to do to do your work, they're doing they're doing okay, right? Yeah. It's the micromanagers, the people who thought presence equaled productivity, and so they were keeping track of when people were coming into the office and all of that sort of stuff. And now, now usually most of them traded presence for responsiveness. And so what they're really doing is tracking how responsive you are in digital communication and then using that as a proxy for productivity. The, those teams, even a year later, I think are, are still suffering. So a lot of that, it's less about you know the, the team dynamic and really more about how the leader of that team is setting that culture. Is it one of trust and autonomy? And if so, you could be at your desk in an office or you could be at your desk at home and it could mm-hmm. feel pretty similar except 3D to 2D. Uh, if you're running the micromanagement thing, I mean, I, I honestly don't know how a year later the, the bosses of micro, the micromanagers have anyone on their team to still lead, right? I don't know why people haven't left at this point because it's been a it's been a painful year if you were trying to lead from that place. Well, I think there's a misguided belief that people are trapped, that there isn't a job market that is still thriving out there, and there is. And we can talk more in a moment about, well, how do you search for that next opportunity in a virtual world? Because it's a different mindset and a different skill set. But I was working with an executive team last week that did make that transition quite well in terms of they were balancing not only do you have access to all the systems you need, do you have a laptop, uh, do you have a space to work, et cetera, the, the what of business, but were all fo- also focused on ensuring that they, they retained a sense of community, that they were checking in on how are you doing. Mm. And the conversation last week was about how do they now broaden it and recalibrate the rules of engagement. So what advice do you have for people listening? The first steps for building culture remotely because yeah. now we've got you know 300 corporate head offices in bedrooms and kitchen tables and corners of living rooms versus one office that has a look and feel for this company so what advice for building yeah. culture remotely yeah i totally agree well culture's never been a building right and culture's mm-hmm. never been a foosball table and a keg in the refrigerator and that sort of thing right uh, those those might have been indicators of culture or they might have been indicators that your leaders don't know what culture is, depending on the organization. Right. Um, I think the biggest thing we're, we're a year into this. And I think after the first couple, I, I'll, I'll actually go ahead and give most leaders a pat on the back. Right. Mm-hmm. And say that in, when when we were told here in the United States, we were told 15 days to slow the spread. Right. The day we're recording this, by the way, it's day 361. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we were told 15 days to slow spread. And we did a pretty decent job getting people to tech, coming up with systems to keep people productive. We probably called too many Zoom meetings in the beginning, but like we did okay. It wasn't until months into this great work from home experiment that we realized what we left at the office, which was the 
unstructured time that builds that sense of culture, right? The time before the meeting when two or three people walk in together and have a chat about their day or, or their other sort of non-work things that actually build bonds, right? The, the after work events that may have been totally spontaneous, right? All of those things are what build culture much more than running an effective meeting. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said about running an effective Zoom meeting, but one of the best things you could do is actually be a little unstructured to create mm -hmm. that that time for people to chat, et cetera. And we're only now a lot of organizations are realizing they need to take that back. Uh, but that's one of the I think the biggest things we've forgotten over the last year. Um, when we look at the at the research around um, teams that choose to be distributed, teams that choose to be virtual, like Sky Team, we find that they're the ones that work are marked by a company culture of shared understanding and of team identity. Shared understanding is, is just how well I understand who is good at, good at what, whose roles and responsibilities are what, and also the context that everyone's working in. I know who is working from uh, an office in the basement of their house like I'm yeah. in and who's working from the kitchen table. And then shared identity is how much do I feel like a team? Now, the interesting thing is both of those things are built from deliberately unstructured time where the whole purpose of getting the team together is to get them to not talk about work, but talk mm -hmm. about other things so that they find uncommon commonalities with each other. That can take the form of a, of a Zoom happy hour, although I think we're all a little hungover from the Zoom happy hours. It can also take the form of playing a deliberate game, but it can take the form of just, uh, there's a company, there, there's a team sense of culture that if the meeting's scheduled at 10 a.m., half the people are on at 9.45 just to chat and catch up. Right. Yes. Um, or that we still, because we're not geographically dispersed, we're all still kind of near each other, just working remotely that once a week we do lunch together, even though we're doing it via Zoom. Right. Yeah. Uh, those little things that unstructured time is where culture's always been built. The difference is now that's not accidental. It has to be deliberate and it falls upon the leader of an individual team to make sure they're deliberately building that time. I'm hearing the same. What you're saying, it's scheduled spontaneity is what we need to embrace in 2021. Yeah, yeah, to, to be to be honest with you. And I think especially in 2021, as we start to put the pieces back together and as offices start to reopen, as different people are vaccinated or have comfortable levels of coming back to the office, scheduled spontaneity actually becomes even more important because there's a there's a tendency towards an us versus them that'll creep up. The co-located, the ones who came back first, are yeah. going to get all that unstructured time with each other and the remote are going to be well, they're going to be remote. They're going to be out there, right? And so deliberately structuring that time probably becomes even more important in 2021 than in 2020 because you're going to have this us versus them creep up if we don't. Yeah, and it's it's having that conversation because it's not just on the shoulders of the team leader to make this happen. It's also on us as team members to actually ask for what we need. And, and the beer keg is easy to replace. I've got, I think, a few cans down in the in the fridge downstairs. <laughs> but what I'm hearing from the leaders I'm working with is that what the camera has tended to do, much like you just described, is turn every meeting into a straight down to business meeting. Mm -hmm. So I love what you said there about just allowing 10, 15 minutes, whether it's at the beginning or the end, for that informal chit chat and being available. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, I've been reading about companies who've been asking um, employees to have a permanently open Slack channel, which to me just, ah, I mean, I love squirrel. I love interruptions and variety, but the idea of being at the beck and call of that all day, what's your take on you will be on that Slack channel all the time? 
Yeah, my take is it's a terrible idea. Uh, I mean, for for a couple different reasons. Um, the first thing is that Slack, in my in my opinion, driven by the data, but I am editorializing a bit here. In my opinion, Slack is actually only good for one thing. It's actually it's a terrible project management tool. It's a terrible tool because people are typing in sentence fragments. It's 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 the equivalent of a prodigy or an AOL chat room and trying to get a project managed on that. It doesn't work, right? But it's very good as a virtual water cooler. It's great mm -hmm. as a place to have those non-work conversations, those little updates. It's great as a place to update people for when you're at work and when you're not at work. But you need to respect that you're, there are times where people, everybody's calendar is going to be different, right? There are now more than ever people who will at three o'clock go do not, you know, go away or do not disturb, go pick up their kids from school. And they're not back until five or six o'clock in the, because they're finding the schedule that works for them, mm -hmm. right? So keeping a Slack channel open at all times. I mean, first of all, that's like trying to, I mean, it, it's like trying to get a meeting done in a Chuck E. Cheese. Like it's just full of distraction. It's just not really going to work, right? Yeah, but when you get those um, tokens and they pop out of the machine, there's an adrenaline rush. Well, there. okay, that's fair. That's fair. But um, but it's also just, it's not a great tool for asynchronous communication no. either, right? And and that's and that's what we need to be doing. So so I, I think, and I, I feel weird about this because five years ago, I wrote a book called Under New Management that talked about sort of the need to eliminate internal email. Right. And, and at that point, I was actually very uh, excited about tools like Slack because they had the opportunity to be a, um, a pull medium as opposed to a push medium. The problem was email was hitting your inbox every five minutes, distracting you. And Slack was something you had to physically log into in order to see any of the messages. Um, now, I think there are better tools for that because I think Slack has turned into a push medium just like email. Um, and if we're going to have an asynchronous conversation, we might as well have a digital face to digital face or or audio. You know, these things still do make phone calls. Isn't that weird? I know. It's uh, like rings, though. And the idea, and I, I go, I'm doing this old fashioned because my Air, AirPods or earpods aren't working. I'm, I'm putting you to my ear. Yeah, it's weird. And it's like coming on camera and worrying about, you know, does how does the hair look today? By the way, yeah, the hair but, it, great. but again, those are those are great tools for async or for synchronous communication. For asynchronous communication, we need to recognize that we don't want we don't want to pretend that an asynchronous tool is really a synchronous one, and that's the problem with leaving a Slack window open all the time, or with subtly judging people by how quickly they're responding to emails. Right? Oh, people yes. who are responding fastest are probably your least productive members of the team. Yes, and indeed, and again, resetting expectations around what are the SLAs? How soon should we be responding? And as you said earlier, on understanding the context in which we're all living and working right now, do I have school-age kids that at 9 a.m., my time, I am trying to get logged into their school portals, right. and therefore don't expect me to be responsive, and having those conversations so that we can show compassion and support to each other, because we all have and will need each other's support at some point. You may not think it today, but I promise your limit is coming. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. So um, we talked earlier on about uh, the misguided belief that as employees that we're trapped, that there isn't a job market out there. And there is. So what advice do you have for successfully onboarding and being onboarded into a new company? Because without the walking the halls, building relationships horizontally can be very tough. Yeah. So how do you do, what advice have you seen from the best leaders and organizations in your work and research? Yeah, yeah. So we know even BC before Corona, right? We know from the research that onboarding processes that 
prioritize connection over documentation work better. They lead to longer tenure, more productive employees, more engaged employees. Every measurement says that if we focus on getting you connected to the other humans you're working with, that matters more than making sure legal get its paper, gets its paperwork done. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, most onboarding processes are driven by legal and HR. No offense to everyone from legal and HR who's watching. We love you. We out, and, and I think you know this too. It's just this juggle between mm -hmm. we do need to get these things done. What I've seen from some of the best fully distributed companies is that they have blended the two. In other words, like one company I'm thinking of in particular, and I'm, I'm going to leave them nameless because I'm probably going to miss a detail or two and then he's going to be mad at me. Um, but the way that they did it is they had legal basic or HR, whoever was in charge of the documentation. You, you mean, you remember where this is like in person, you sit in a room and somebody talks a slideshow at you and then they go, great, we got you the, the uh, safety, the OSHA training, like boom, checkbox done, right? Sexual harassment training, checkbox done, right? What they did is they basically had all of that pre-recorded from the, for the expert in the company. But then they paired every new employee up with a member of his or her team to watch that together. So the idea is that it's actually, it's not someone from legal going through it. It's your coworker, Sarah, or your coworker, Bob, taking you through it, answering any questions or promising mm -hmm. to find the answers to any questions so that you're not just getting 45 minutes of OSHA training, you're getting 45 minutes with Bob and the OSHA training. And now you're getting to know a few people, right? If you're on the flip side of that, if you're joining a new company and you're in that situation, well, then you need to force that connection, right? So mm -hmm. that does mean you need to be the squeaky wheel that gets the oil, that gets a little more time with everybody. That means you need to be the bold one, unfortunately, that sends emails to the new team and says, hey, I'd love to grab you know, a coffee Zoom chat for 30 minutes sometime this week just so I can get to know more about you, et cetera, right? That one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. individual connections with each person of your team, that's going to help you feel connected to that team much longer. So that brings me back to one of your earlier books, Friend of a Friend, and How to Hack Networking. So I love that advice of don't wait to be invited to the table. Once you're there, start reaching out to folks and just finding out what they do within the organization that you've joined. But what advice then do you have for people right now to nurture their network, but also to extend it if they are looking for that next big adventure? Yeah, so this is I've been thinking about this one a lot, actually, because about three weeks ago, there was a paper published uh, from a couple of network scientists that I really admire showing essentially the effect of lockdown on people's network. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was really interesting. They showed a 25% decrease in the average person's network because we weren't meeting in person, we weren't meeting around events, et cetera. But here's what's really weird. That decrease was almost entirely driven by males. What they found is there was a gender divide that females tend to bond over discussion, over interactions, over phone calls, like you said, over Zoom calls. And so they've done a better job in the last year of keeping their network active than have men who mostly bonded around activities. Now, I'm going to give a bit of counterintuitive advice here, which is that we need to take back the activities piece. You can't do it in person, but you can be the person in your network planning these sort of shared activities. We, we saw this a little bit. Early in the pandemic, the most extroverted of our friends were inviting mm -hmm. us to the Zoom happy hours, yeah. the little connections, et cetera, but they didn't have structure, right? And so that that's kind of the missing piece, right? Try and see if you can start in your organization or in your network, you can say, you know, I'm gonna start, in, I'm gonna start a book club. I'm gonna start a virtual book club where we read a different leadership development book every month and we come together, right? That's a shared activity that'll help you not only reconnect with people, but also uh, foster new connections because other people can invite their friends in, et cetera. 
um, take back those activities. If you're one of the, if you're on the guy side and you're like me and you've really neglected the one-on-one conversations, then yeah, you need to do that too. But I think everybody can benefit from this idea that if humans have bonded around shared activities for a long time, that's what we've been missing for the last year. And virtual is not an excuse for that. It's just different, Uh, but it can be done. It's interesting. I hadn't made, I'll have to go and find that paper because I hadn't made that connection. I'm thinking about one of my male contact, uh, colleagues who has started a regular game session that brings people together, but also coupled it with raising to now tens of thousands of dollars for not-for-profits and to impact in the communities around him. Yeah. about me, what I decided to do was to set myself a weekly target of phone calls and handwritten cards and just sending messages out to people. Yeah. And Coincidence, maybe, because (laughs) those two examples of the gender different approaches came to mind. But it is, again, about being deliberate and thoughtful, because whether and when we come out of this pandemic, we need our relationships intact. And if we're staying here for a longer term, we need our relationships intact. So it's not soft and fluffy. Pick up the phone, guys, (laughs) Um, but start reconnecting even if it's been a year, because that's how we move through this together and reduce that sense of isolation. Yeah, I agree. The the only, I totally agree. The only thing I'd add is is sort of a trick from, uh, from a buddy of mine who did it in the context of sort of professional services. He always had this phrase, always have something to invite people to. And that was like, you know, he worked with financial advisors and agents, meaning like always have a workshop on finance that you can but I think the, true, the same is true for personal networks, right? Always have some activity that you're running, book club, charity event, whatever it is, that you could invite people to. My good friend, actually our friend, because he's an MG100 guy, Michael Bungay Sr. has his oh, cocktails yeah. and questions. I don't know if you were mm-hmm. ever part of that. Yes. Um, but it was a very structured thing. It wasn't just, hey, we're all randomly on Zoom. It was a curated list of 10 people, a curated set of questions designed to bring, you know, bring out discussion. It was an event. Always have, it, it, to the extent that this is going to go on, and I have no idea how long that'll be, the best thing you could do is always have someone to invite people to. And by the way, when this is over, it's still good advice, right? Because work from home, it's, I, I use the word experiment. And I'm not sure that it's ever been really an experiment because companies have been doing this for years and decades. What it is now is a mass adoption and an element of it, the hybrid approach, is here to stay. There is no going back to what was or what we might remember. So start learning these habits and flexing and redefining how we connect and how we do work together because we can only all benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. The The future of work, it's not a binary. It's not office versus home. The future of work is working from anywhere mm-hmm. and we better get ready for that. Right. We better, whether you consider yourself a leader of remote teams or you consider yourself someone who's just trying to pass the time until you can get back to the office, you lead a remote team from now on because not everyone's going to be there all of the time like we were before. So David, as we come to the end of our time together, what final thoughts do you have for the people le- uh, listening and watching this episode? Oh man, I thought that one was good. Uh, <laughs> I know, no. but I want to make sure that you yeah, have. You know, I, I, I love it. Again, I think the biggest thing we left at the office uh, was that unstructured time that builds bonds. And if, if you haven't already come up with a plan or a way that's, that's, that's unique to you, I don't want you to be inauthentic with your team or anything like that. 
but a way that you would feel comfortable, an activity you would feel comfortable putting on with your team that will bring out those non-work discussions. You can really up-level your team just by making a commitment to doing them on a regular basis for however long we're still not together. Um, I think it'll be longer than you think, though. So this is a habit we should be cultivating now. All right. Well, David, I want to thank you for your time here today. And I hope you will come back for a second part two, because I think I could continue to talk with you for hours. And for everybody listening today, make sure that you check out David's website. Definitely watch his TED Talk. Let's see if we can get it to three million. We'll make sure all of that information is in the show notes below. And grab a copy of Leading From Anywhere, The Essential Guide to Managing Remote Teams. I promise you will not be disappointed and it will help you to find that authentic way uh, to be part of and lead the teams that you are engaged with. So thank you all and thank you, David. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.